Welcome to Learning Through Math, the podcast. I'm Laura at I Teach the Why. I'm Karina at Mrs. Cousins 5. Our mission is to inspire ourselves and others to keep learning and improving with passion. And hugs. You can find us at learningthroughmath.com and on Twitter at Laura and Karina. Come and join us on this journey of learning. Thanks for joining us. We are recording this in November of 2021. And welcome to episode 60, Learning About Asking Questions. We want to give a huge shout out to our friends, Kyle and John, who run Make Math Moments, the podcast, Make Math Moments That Matter, everything related to that. They provided us with the 2021 Virtual Summit this past weekend. And it was free to everybody who had registered. Gosh, it was just amazing. Now, Karina, you know I was actually driving up to a destination because I had to attend a funeral. So I was only able to participate in four of the sessions, but they were all so good. How many did you end up attending? There were 25 sessions. Oh my God. From what I can tell from their little scavenger hunt. Uh huh. And I attended, I think, around eight, but my brain, I really had a hard time. I wanted to like watch more sessions, but my brain was so full and capped that Mm -hmm. I I couldn't. I just, I couldn't physically sit there and gather more information. It was so difficult for me, but I wanted to attend all of them. Me too. It was just a full weekend of so much great, just greatness. Like that's all I can say about it. It really was. It was greatness from Jenny Bay Williams to Dr. Childs to Nat Banting to Hillary Kreisberg. I mean, it just. Nikki Newton. Yes. Oh, and I didn't even get to see that one. Oh, it was so, everything was so good. So Neil Singh, he was another one that I attended. Oh my gosh. Steven Leinwand was another phenomenal one. I I mean, it was just, it really was incredible. It was, so thank you, Kyle and John, for that opportunity, that free summit. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people on Twitter were talking about it and really benefited from it. I know I did. And 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 we know how much work goes into something like that. So really from the bottom of our hearts, Kyle and John, thank you for doing all of that work. Yes. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Let's move on to our reflection. I have one um, from, actually, I was thinking a lot about last week's episode. And one thing that Chris said that really resonated with me was the textbook got in my way. <laughs> and that, I, I, I listen, I've, I've replayed that for the, like the last week in my head. Uh-huh. And it's so true. I mean, the textbook just gets in the way. It re- I, I, there's no better way to say that. It really does. Everything that I want to do, everything that I, I, I want to make math engaging and fun and interesting, the textbook gets in the way of all of that every single time, you know, especially when the textbook doesn't even give them enough space to write and right. think and, and show their like 22 questions really right at the bottom fourth of the page. Right where everything else is like guided in, you know, direction and procedure. Give me a break. Right? The textbook gets in the way. It's so true. It's so true. Well, I have some good news to share. 
Tell me. As you know, Jenny Bay Williams and John San Giovanni teamed up with another author to write the companion books for figuring out fluency. I received the two that I ordered last week. One of them was the addition and subtraction with whole numbers. And the other one is multiplication and division with whole numbers. I, oh my gosh, I can't wait to share the information with my teachers about that. Just so good. So good that I am going to have my teachers use the addition and subtraction stuff for after school tutorial. Oh, that's awesome. With our third, fourth, and fifth graders, because I know I'm, I'm actually going to give them a pretest. Right. But I, I know they don't have the foundation that they need. Oh, yeah, I know. So I think letting the teachers share strategies with kids, not procedures, but strategies, yeah. is going to benefit them the most. Them meaning the students. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to hear all about that, how that goes. I know, me too. (laughs) Very excited. And I'm very excited to borrow your book, by the way. (laughs) Let's move into today's episode, uh, all about asking questions, learning about asking questions. I think we were kind of viewing this in two different ways. Right. Okay. Go ahead with the first. When you told me about this topic, I was coming in with the lens of asking good questions, meaning open-ended, rich tasks. Oh, yes. That kind of questioning. But you and I were talking a little bit more and going deeper into it. I think our focus shifted a little bit into, yes, giving them a task, but then what happens next, right? It's after we give them the task, what happens next? Because you and I come from a lens of not spoon feeding everything, of letting the kids have productive struggle, of giving them the experiences and opportunities to learn and do the math themselves. Correct. Share with everyone the one of the first things that we were talking about. I, I think where I got the idea for this episode, it was from, it came from the weekend, over the weekend, you know, during Nat Banting's session that he presented. And the first thing that he said that really absolutely struck a chord was he said that he proposed the idea that the job of the teacher is to keep mathematical activity going, right? So mathematical activity or mathematical thinking needs to keep going, mm-hmm. that you don't just stop, right? right? It's not just I get the answer correct and then I'm done we're thinking. Done. <laughs> right. Pencil down, or, we're done. Or I have, I have an incorrect answer and now I'm done too, right? right? We have to keep the mathematical Thinking and discourse going. So it was more about pushing kids thinking, right? Asking yes. a question to keep them thinking. Correct. So how do we as teachers continue that? Because that's hard to do. That's not that's not easy. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're faced with, especially in the moment, sometimes you need to like take a step back and say, okay, I need to rethink how, what they're thinking. You have to first understand what they're thinking. Mm-hmm when you look at student work. Mm -hmm. And then how do I get the student to the next step? What's the next step in that progression? And what's the next step in their understanding that I can lead them to without- Giving away the farm? Right. Right. Without (laughs) giving all of it away. Right. So how do you get them there? So those asking questions is so important, but I don't think as teachers, we really take the time 
to think about the questions we're asking. Which goes right back to the five practices of anticipating, right? right? It's thinking about, it's that planning and thinking about what what the kids are going to say and where you're going to take them. If they say X or they say Y or they say Z. And you're right. I don't think we as teachers have enough conversations about that. No. It's, you know, plug and chug. Question asking. Yes. Yeah. Because we all have different things that we can pick up on. Nat also shared a task with us all, a fraction task that he wanted us to think very Mm open-ended. And then he shared student work and three student samples. And from there in the chat, we all posted questions. You know, he led us through it, but he asked, what questions would you ask next Mm -hmm. to keep the students mathematical thinking going? What would you ask them next? Some questions were not as specific. It was more like explain your thinking. And those are good questions, but we have to go further than that, right? We want to go deeper than that. I think we really have to spend time as teachers looking at misconceptions, looking at things that kids got right and and pushing that thinking and, and seeing how we can, I don't know, make it, just keep it going. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm thinking that if a teacher wanted to start with this, I would have the teacher actually use the very first kindergarten task for open middle mm. because it's basically blank plus blank equals blank plus blank. And they get, I think they get all the digits except zero. I think they get one through nine, if I'm not mistaken. It'll be in the show notes. But that way the teacher can practice. Okay, if the kids respond this way, what am I going to say next? Or what, not not say, but what am I going to ask next? Right? Right. How do you know that this is the whatever? And, And that particular task isn't Something like, you know, get the largest sum or get the smallest sum or something like that. But if there was a task like that, and we call them rich tasks or open-ended tasks or low floor, high ceiling, right? There's lots of different ways to say the same thing. They're all synonyms of each other, which is going to force us as teachers to think about other things that we wouldn't normally think of. And what if our student puts in something and we're like, whoa, how did that yeah. happen? Right. I do want to say one thing though. I know we're just starting to talk about this, but if a student does something and it completely floors you, you're like, I have no idea. You can legit say to the kid, not, I don't get this yet, but let me, yes. let me think about this for, you know, a while for a day or for over the weekend. And let me get back to you on that. There's no reason why teachers can't say something like that. We are not the fountain of knowledge. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And I remember in reading conferences that I would do as a teacher, that that was always something that they enforced with us, that if you don't know, if you are not sure, end the conference. There's no point of kind of trying to go around in a circle and wasting all that time. Mm -hmm. If you're not sure of your next steps, say, okay, that was great and move on. Right. (laughs) I'll see you next time. Or, you know, like you keep reading and I'll come back to you. Or, you know, like just let them keep going and move on because it's not beneficial. And again, it's teachers being vulnerable, right? right? Like we we have to make sure that we get that word out. We have to be vulnerable as teachers, whether we're sitting at a table and we're just discussing this together as and planning, trying to think of what 
kids are going to say, or whether we're sitting in front of a group of kids. Yeah. We have to be vulnerable. Yes. I do want to bring up this excellent book that I'm going to have to reread this weekend. Now that we're actually doing small groups again, I'm so mm-hmm. excited. But I have to I have to bring up this book. It's Making Sense of Mathematics for Teaching the Small Group. And it's by Julie Dixon, Lisa Brooks, Melissa Carley. A- incredible, incredible book. I was just going through, just perusing through the pages. Mm-hmm. And every time I stopped, I mean, I've highlighted this almost every single line. It's crazy. But every time I just stopped on a page, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, 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 yes to this, yes to this. And it's just, it's just full of good information. And one thing that they do talk about is the TQE process, which is tasks. So selecting tasks that support identified learning goals, questions, facilitating productive questioning during instruction to engage students in the mathematical practices and processes, and evidence. Collect and use evidence of student understanding in the formative assessment process to guide the delivery of instruction. And on page 40, (laughs) specifically, (laughs) on page 40, there's a list of questions there. Okay. And... I, I, so this is where I was kind of I was kind of hoping to go with our conversation today. How do I get better at asking better questions? Mm-hmm. Because I think I'm okay at it, but I definitely feel like there, that's that's an area where I don't consciously think about a lot. I need to pay more attention to the questions I'm asking. Mm-hmm. So the questions that are listed here are very general. Like they they really are. It's more like what did he or she say? Why does that work? How do you know what is the same and what is different? I do like that though. What is the same and what is different from your group members' solution and strategies? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What could you do next? How else could you solve it? What is a reasonable estimate? Are you sure? Do you agree? What did you do? Okay, so all of those are very general and could be used in any kind of situation. But what Nat had us do was really look and be more sp- – like those questions are great. It's not that they they aren't, but – how do you get better at asking specific questions to that skill or that that goal to get them to the next step? In Peter's book, Building Thinking Classrooms, on page 89 and 90, he also gave an idea of 10 things to say in response when a student asks you a proximity question or a stop thinking question, right? And, and you'll have to read that book to find out about that specifically. What that means. But isn't that interesting? Can you find something else? Can you show me how you did that? Is that always true? That's one of my favorite ones. Ooh, Why do you think a, that is a good one? Right? Why do you think that is? Are you sure? Does that make sense? Why don't you try something else? Why don't you try another one? Are you asking me or telling me? I yes. love that one. Yeah, I like that too. I use that that one as a parent. <laughs> are you me or are you telling me or is it is it the other way around are you telling me or are you asking me right (laughs) (laughs) um don't be telling me what to do i'm gonna be telling you what to do The other the other thing that I kind of wanted to do though today, Laura, was look at a question and see, like you and I kind of troubleshoot and brainstorm through a student example. And I got the student example from mathmistakes.org, mm-hmm. which if you haven't ever been there, is a great site that has multiple anonymous student examples 
And they're great for using as, you know, my favorite no or my favorite not yet, which mm-hmm. I like that better. Mm-hmm. They're just great to use in class as well. And, and Twitter, I know, is also a great place if you wanted to take a picture of something mm-hmm. and then say, what would you do with a student next? Mm-hmm. I, I see that a lot on some Twitter posts. But this particular question that I kind of want Laura and I to brainstorm about is a number line. It has fractions and decimals. And the task says – it just says, it's not even a question. It just says plot four tenths on the number line. Now, I want to tell everyone it's written as a decimal, first of all. Yes. Four tenths. Oh, yes. 0.4. So 0.4. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. And it the number line itself has a zero at one end, at one end point, and a one at the other end point. And it has one, two, three, four tick marks mm-hmm. in between. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Well, and yep. And then the students wrote, I want to give everyone a picture. Go ahead. After the first tick mark, after zero, the student wrote one over one. The next one says one over two. The next one says one over three. The next one says one over four. And they put a dot there. And then one is the other end point. And the directions say plot four tenths on the number line. We have not, I just want to tell the listeners, we have not discussed this yet. (laughs) So this is going to be a complete, real conversation that Karina and I would actually have. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, we're we're pulling back the curtains. Yep. (laughs) Uh, All right. So first, I can see that I would assume that that where it says plot the four tenths, the 0.4 on the number line, the student thinks that it's at one fourth, where they've plotted one fourth. And they must think that because it says 0.4, that four is their denominator. And we're just going to put one at the top. It's going to be the numerator. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, right? The four is in the denominator, but the one is in the numerator. And then, uh, of course, you can see the consecutive order is there, right? You have one, two, three, four in the denominators. But, of course, the student isn't understanding that as the denominator digit gets greater, the piece, the size pieces are actually getting smaller. Right. And they literally are just writing unit fractions. Right. You know, that's interesting too. One half, one third, one fourth. Hmm. Okay. So what questions would we ask this student at this point? So this is what you see. You're walking around or you're in a small group and this is what (laughs) you have in front of you. Okay. So honestly, listeners, in my head, the first thing is, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yes. That's the same. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That same. Um, I might say to them, can you read the directions for me out loud? And maybe them having, and I don't know if they'll say 0.4 or four tenths. And then I'm, you know, how, whatever they say, I might say, and tell me, read the fraction that you wrote under your dot, right? Right. And see if they realize that four tenths doesn't even sound the same as one fourth, if they read it correctly. That might be my first question set of questions. What would be yeah. your first set of questions? I'd be tempted to go to that one over one, that one one. Do you think because that's even, one whole? I know. Do you think the kid even understands that that's realizes no. that that's one? No. Or maybe go to the one half and say, "That's hey. yeah, maybe maybe the one half is better." Right, and then go because... to the left and say, "What is one over one?" Like. <laughs> 
Because, but even on this number line, is it, it's not even, the one half isn't even in the half position. No, it's not. Okay. So I think maybe, yeah, I am going to take that back. I'm not going to go with the one over one. See, this is why we need to practice this kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I think it's better to go to the one half because generally kids have a better understanding of what half one half looks like, what, mm-hmm. right? What mm-hmm. one half is. So uh, yeah, I think I would give them another number line, the same number line, just on another, like a clean paper. Right. And I would say, tell me what you know about one half. Yes. Of something, of anything, you know? And then what does it look like on a number line? Maybe even just draw an open number line. Well, not open, but it would be closed because you could put zero and one on the endpoints and say, mark where one half is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, if this was third or fourth graders, I might be tempted to break out the fraction strips. Yeah. So that they could visually see that one fourth is a smaller piece if we're comparing it to the same hole. And of course, it's that red one hole, right? Right. That that one fourth is a smaller piece than one third or one half. I, I don't... Uh, okay. Well, hey, this is real. We're, we're talking about it in real time. Yeah. This isn't... It's not easy, is it? No. It's- would you this bring up the fraction bars, the fraction strips? I mean, I definitely think that that would – maybe it wouldn't be my first step, but it would definitely be on the list of things to do with this student because, I, like I said before, they have no understanding of what what that number, that, that denominator really means All right, and you what just, it tells them. You sealed the deal for me. I am going to bring out the fraction strips first because – that model of the number line is pretty pictorial, but even more abstract, I think, than anything yeah. else. Yeah, maybe so I think right. I'm going to go back to concrete first because we have the tenths, so we can use four tenths, right? Oh, that's true. The, the four one-tenth units. And then they could see, oh, well, wait a minute, it's you know less than one-half. And right, which actually makes this this question is now even more interesting <laughs> now that I see it, now that we are like examining it, because it does say to plot four tenths and there is no tenths visible. There's fifths. Right. So students would have to notice that first mm-hmm. and then split up the fifths into tenths. Right. Because it is it's in five sections. Yeah, it's only in five sections. They there's they need more Tick partitions, marks, but, right? Well, mm-hmm. they, well, they don't if they know equivalence. Yes, yes. Which again, so maybe with the fraction bars, you know, what what else does four tenths look like? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like what's it equivalent to? And maybe they maybe they would see that it's two fifths, but I don't know because the tick marks on there they they named them so unusual, or maybe it's you know usual for them because they don't right. that that just shows you how much number sense they're lacking. Yes, or really we have the decrease of numbers from left to right as opposed to the increase of numbers, even though we have the zero and the one showing that it's progressing. You know, from right. left to right. So basically, yeah. fractions and decimals, they don't have a handle on at all. Right. Other than, I, I can't even say other than because they, that the student did write the denominators decreasing. So I, I think I'm going to pop out the fraction bars. Yeah. <laughs> and then just say, like, what does one fourth look like? Compare it to one third. What mm-hmm. do you notice? 
Yes. Right? Yes. So I it's think more like, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. So kind of putting the number line aside mm-hmm. and going more concrete, concrete because they don't have an understanding of what, what that fraction piece looks like. Yeah. Right? Oof. There's a lot of learning that needs to be done with this problem. Yes. All right, Karina, real, real time, real problem, time. When do we have time to do all of this back teaching? That's, it's hard. It's, yeah, we got to just it's get- It's necessary. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, you, you have to get into small groups. It just has to happen. In, in a building thinking classroom, you can get to small groups that way. Mm-hmm. But you even have to, it's about knowing the kids. You have to know your students. It's about knowing the progression, the standards, the what it is with the expectations. And and I know there's listen, so much. Did you listen to Pam and Kim this morning? Their episode no. that just dropped this morning? No. It was, it's literally called Know Your Content, Know Your Kids. <laughs> exactly what you just said. So, I mean, that's, that's it. That's, that's what it I comes know. down to. And if you do know those things, then you can, you can, you know, you can keep going. But see, but that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought that we would be able to come up with some questions and boom, 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 and fix this kid. And be <laughs> done, it, but, right? But yeah, and be done. But that was, that was hard. See, like I, I really And we're feel, just scratching the surface. I know. I And this isn't real time. This isn't in a classroom with 21 right. other kids that are like other things going on. Right. Oh, I forgot to do attendance. And oh, this right. one's eating glue in the back corner. And oh, and this one's got fire his scissors. alarm is going to go yeah. off. And um, yeah, yeah, like, yes. Yeah. Which is why these conversations need to happen before we step into the classroom. Right. And that's a problem of time too, because there's not enough time for teachers to do this kind of collaboration and and thinking through like thinking brainstorming process. I think we just proved the point that departmentalization has to happen Ooh. so that we be- can become I know you're you're against it and I'm for it because I want to make sure I know my content and my kids in such a way that I can go deep in these things. I get it. I totally get it. I, I and, do. And you want to know your kids. I want to know my and kids. And know your content. Right. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> kind of like the flip of the. Yeah. Because I just feel like when you're departmentalized, you don't, you, you see them half the time. So your relationship is, is half as strong. Right? Do you remember like, that before I came to the school that we worked at, one of the last things I did was teach four fifth grade math classes. I got them for like 70 minutes a day. Oh gosh. And it was a lot of kids. Well, think about middle and high school teachers. Right. Same conundrum. But you're right. I mean, I definitely do feel like teachers who are departmentalized can focus more on the on the content, on the curriculum. And they, you know, they have that much more time to do that, to dive deeper into it. It's just your your trade-off is the students. You know, you don't get right. to know them as well. Ugh. It's a, it's the answer there. Yeah, there isn't, there isn't one. No, unfortunately. I will say though, that when you know your kids and your content, great things just happen, don't they? Yes. 
Oh, yes. I'll I'll share. Let me share real quick about something that I did today. Okay. I'm rotating and having small groups. I have to get that in there as well as, you know, having, having the building thinking classroom and those tasks were there anyway, Uh, up at the boards. Right. I have to have them rotating through me too, because I feel like I don't know them. So anyway, so I'm having them rotate. We're in small groups and took out the fraction tiles, right? We're in fractions. And I said, okay, here's a whole bunch of fraction tiles. And I just give them piles because I put them all in like this, the dollar store flower dipping container, you know, the yes. the dipping so that there's all these little departments of all the different fraction tiles. It's very pretty. I'll take a picture. And like the party, the party yes, tray, right? the party Where tray. The dip is in the middle and all yes, the vegetables yes, are on yes, the outside. Yes. So all the different sized fraction pieces are, are on the outside. And just gave them a whole bunch. And I said, okay, find, find equivalent fractions. Just find a whole bunch of equivalent fractions. Which ones are equivalent? And they start finding them. We start writing them on the table with Expo markers. You know, we just write them all over the place. And then I, as they're continuing to work, I wrote down the list of, of fractions. And I made sure as I wrote them that I wrote the unit fraction first (laughs) equals whatever it was that they found, right? Right. So one half equals two fourths, one third equals two sixths, uh, et cetera, et cetera. One fifth equals two tenths. Okay. So if you did, wait, I just want to ask, if you did one half equals two fourths, did you put after it equals three sixths if they had named it? Did you keep it all in one row? So they hadn't named it, but I I, I just kept it like just – one and like one equals one. I didn't. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just kept Two equivalencies. It. That's yes, it. Yes, okay. right. Um, yeah, I don't think they got three six, but anyway, but that would have been interesting, right? If I had put that up. So I, I just made this list, and then as we went through, I showed them. So then we revealed, and I talked to them about. Okay, well, look at that. Look at one half equals to two fourths. What are you noticing about mm-hmm. the relationships, like the things, the those numbers? Are those numbers related in any way? Are right. they like, <laughs> hmm, two and four? Do I know anything about that? And you're like, please, God, please, God, yeah, somebody yeah. say something. <laughs> and then, so then that's when the conversation started. Like, oh, well, I know that one, half of two is one and that's in the numerator. And then if you look on the other side, it's half of two four is two. And that's in the, and I'm like, yeah, look at that. (laughs) And then I went to like the next one and, and we just talked about those relationships. And then they noticed that when, when the top, oh, they had like the, when the numerator was doubled, it was also the denominator was doubled. And then Mm -hmm. there was one that had three. And then I'm like, well, what about this one? It was one third and three ninths. And I said, well, what about this one? And they're like, well, this one, doesn't have that. I'm like, oh yeah, it doesn't. So we can't, it's not the same, is it? And they're like, wait, but nine and three, you can do three times not three and that equals to nine. And then one times three is equal to three. So you could do times three. And I'm like, huh, look at that. So wait a minute. You had ninths because sevenths and ninths yeah. and elevenths. Why did I do? Why did I have ninths? Oh, I think I said I thought I think that was my non-exam or my example without the fraction pieces. Uh, I think that's what I came out did with. Did you afterwards. throw that yes, out then? I did. Yes, I did oh, do good. that. But they did throw an, another one out there though. Then what was it? There was another one that wasn't a, a times two relationship. You're yes. right. I did throw that one out. Good. Um, I'm glad you did. <laughs> 
Okay. And I'm sure all the listeners are like, wait, where did you get the ninths? <laughs> wait, there are no nine pieces. <laughs> those nine fractional pieces. Nines and sevens. For some reason, they don't make those, right? Did you see on Twitter somebody tagged, I think. Just make and- the sevenths. Yeah. <laughs> I think came to mind. They were like, okay, let's do it. You can yes. be the first company to do yes, it. <laughs> yes. And But you know, on Mathagon, they do have all of them. But yeah, just I think it's just like that kind of discovery for them to see it, yes. for them to discover it. I'm still leading them towards that realization at the end. That's my goal. My right. goal is to get them there and to come up with that generalization that, yes, when you multiply the numerator times a number and then multiply the denominator by the same number, you're going to get an equivalent fraction. But if I just come out and say that and, and you know, I've taken that thinking away from them. And I'm I'm hoping like one of your next steps is, okay, if you're multiplying, you know, times two on the numerator and times two on the denominator, that you're multiplying by one whole. Look, yes. two over two is one yes. whole. That's great. You I'll, have, I'll definitely like, do that. Yeah. yeah that's, what does that that's mean? really what's right. happening. It's not just times two times two. Right. Right. Every time you're making equivalence, you're multiplying it by one whole, which yes. comes back to the identity property of one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> which I definitely and, do usually bring in. But yeah, and, with, in this, with all of that stuff going on, I just wanted yes. them to just see. No, but that that's a great, you know, next step. Right. Next right? step. Yes. For tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, oh, I, I want to talk to you tomorrow night then and find <laughs> out what happens. And now our listeners are going to be like, I want to know. Oh, listeners, we are going to give you the challenge this week of planning some great questions, but not by yourself. Grab a colleague and find either a student work sample or a question that you think you're going to be asking as a task, right? Or some kind of problem. And I'm putting problem in air quotes and have your colleague sit there like Karina and I just did and come up with questions to push the kids thinking. Yes. Be vulnerable and see what you come up with. And we would love to hear how it goes. I can't wait. Oof. Yes. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform. We invite you to join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag learning through math. We'd love to hear your feedback. Make sure to tag us at Laura and Karina. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. To you too.